In this comic book is a love story, a boy and girl in love. They get married, and after an offensively lurid description, illustrated, of course, of the couple's wedding night, the book shows how the bride murders her husband by chopping his head off with an axe. effect of these comic books on the children. Uh, all of our testimony from psychiatrists and uh, children themselves uh, show that it's uh, very upsetting, that it has a bad moral effect, and that it is directly responsible for a substantial amount of juvenile delinquency and child crime. Hello again, friends and fans of freaky, frightening, and fantastic funnies. This is Four Color Fear, the podcast that dissects and inspects horror comics. Bob here, your friendly neighborhood cast keeper and curator of the 4CF Vault, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 26, where for the Halloween holiday, we will take a special two-color fear look at Creepy number 58, published by Warren in 1973. Now, before we get started, just a quick correction from the last episode. When we were discussing our featured story, the Steve Ditko-drawn The Evil Eye, I had taken issue with the way Ditko had drawn the policemen responding to the crime. He depicted them as London bobbies, and uh, after going back and looking at the story again, when our protagonist, Warren, gets behind the wheel of the car, he does so on the right side you know, what we would call the passenger side here in the States. So apparently this story did take place back in Old Blighty, and Ditko was drawing the policeman correctly. With that out of the way, we'll take a look at the worn black and white magazine size creepy, and in particular issue number 58 when I get back. So stick around. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. (coughs) Below the crypt lies the vault of horror a treasure chest of the macabre madness voodoo vampires torture and terror all the things that make life Worth leaving. That's how it is. And how it always will be. The Vault of Horror. Well, it should be no surprise here at Four Color Fear, considering our subject matter, that when picking a 1973 horror film to feature in our first little break, that I would choose The Vault of Horror, 1973 Amicus production horror anthology movie featuring stories from classic EC comics written by Al Felstein, akin to its predecessor from 1972, Tales from the Crypt, also an Amicus production. 
And although I feel that Tales from the Crypt is a better movie overall, my favorite segment from both films is the first one in The Vault of Horror, and that was entitled Midnight Mass. It came from Tales from the Crypt number 35, and oh boy, a vampire restaurant and a tap jugular vein. Oh, pretty creepy stuff. Both of those movies would make an excellent double feature to watch on Halloween. I believe they're both available on YouTube. I personally have the Midnight Movie double feature. Boy, what a series that was. Initially released by MGM, 20th Century Fox taking over. Unfortunately, it's not with us anymore. Uh, Most of the titles are out of print. There are some out there on Amazon and eBay. The more popular titles going for a ridiculously expensive price. I know my friend Anthony over at TV Terror Podcast is a fan of that series. I have quite a few of the uh, double feature DVDs myself and a few single ones as well, but they are very hard to come by nowadays. Uh, Although recently I picked up a double feature of The Return of Dracula and The Vampire at, believe it or not, Family Dollar for $4.99. And I also recently acquired uh, the double feature Count Yorga Vampire and the Return of Count Yorga. However, and here's a little buyer beware, when I received that DVD, uh, the case had the normal Midnight Movies artwork, and if you've seen these, you know what I'm talking about, except in the upper part of the case where normally it would say Midnight Movies, uh, it's just a blank field, so I'm really not sure who released that copy I got, even though the picture in the eBay description showed the original cover. All the same, the movie plays well, and that's a great double feature as well. Okay, once again, I digress. Creepy was a horror anthology comic published by Warren for 145 issues from November 1964 until February 1983. It was a magazine-sized comic book, which allowed Warren to bypass the Comics Code Authority, so they had no restrictions as far as the code was concerned. And as mentioned earlier, this is a two-color fear episode. All of the comics were in black and white, with an occasional color insert. Now, creepy number 58 has a cover date of December 1973 and a cover price of 75 cents. And the cover, which is a painted cover by the artist Sam Julian, who was a Spanish painter who did several covers for the three big Warren Horror mags, Creepy, Eerie, and Vampirella, and also a lot of paperback book cover paintings for Avon and Signet. Uh, most notably, in the late 70s and early 80s, he did several covers for some Conan the Barbarian stories. But this cover depicts a demonic high priest dressed in ceremonial garb. He is holding a staff with a goat's head on top, very satanic looking, and it looks like he's getting ready to hold some sort of ritual. We get the creepy logo in its creepy font at the top of the page with a tagline above that saying, all new stories and art, the first and best in illustrated horror. In the upper left corner, we get the Warren Magazine imprint. Below that, a cameo of Uncle Creepy. Over on the right side, it tells us this is a special Halloween horror issue. Sorcerers, demons, and vampires run rampant and change into something comfortable. Now inside the book, 
Creepy Number 58 has 68 pages with six comic stories and no text story. The first comic story, which is called The Old School, is a very short story. In fact, it is printed on the inside front and back covers of the magazine, and it tells the story of a man who longs for the halcyon days of his youth. That's followed by Change into Something Comfortable, where a werewolf who has recently escaped from a sideshow struggles with his primal instincts on, of all nights, Halloween. That's followed by An Excuse for Violence, which is about a murder spree on a college campus. Next up is Shriek Well Before Dying, love that title, where a man murders a woman's father and then lies to her about it to win her heart. What a romantic. Next we have The Soul in the Shadow, where a man who has been searching for an ancient evil has to face its curse. And closing out the book, we have The Waking Nightmare, where a man hacks his wife to pieces and everyone wonders why. Well, this story has the terrifying answer. So there's a brief synopsis of our stories in Creepy Number 58. I hope you stick around, because when I come back, we'll dig deeper into our featured story. So I hope to see you on the other side. Someone's come for a nutritious breakfast. What? Hello, my name is Boo. <laughs> Let me finish. Booberry, my ghostly good blueberry-flavored cereal, Booberry, <laughs> is part of this complete breakfast. Boogie-doo-boo-ray! Frankenberry's got strawberry-flavored marshmallows. Count Chocula's got chocolate marshmallows. But I've got blueberry-flavored marshmallows. Frankenberry! Count Chocula! And Booberry! <laughs> With his Peter Laurie-esque voice, we're introduced to Booberry as he joins the General Mills Monster Cereal line in December of 1973. And it's no accident that that shares the same date as Creepy Number 58. You know, I think General Mills and Madison Avenue, for that matter, missed an opportunity. If they would have released Booberry two months earlier, they could have had quite a Halloween promotion. But hey, what do I know? Okay, our featured story for Creepy Number 58 is the first story, and that's titled Change into Something Comfortable. Credits for this story, and boy, are we in for a Halloween treat here. We got a script by Doug Mensch. Now, Doug Mensch is a prolific comic writer who has worked for The Big Two and many other publishers. He was the creator of Moon Knight at Marvel and did a lot of Batman work in the 80s for DC. But my favorite work of his would be his complete run on Planet of the Apes for Marvel's black and white imprint, Curtis. And we have artwork by Richard Corbin and if you're not familiar with Richard Corbin's work from Creepy, Eerie, Vampirella and Heavy Metal maybe you know him from the artwork on Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell cover just a great comic book artist legendary, has a very lifelike style with just a little touch of Uncanny Valley to kind of keep you on edge. Uh, legendary. So we start out this story with an introduction from Uncle Creepy, and he says, Ready for a harrowing Halloween tale, Fall Fright Freaks? This one's about a certain hirsute individual who undergoes a periodic change into something comfortable. Autumn. The rustling skitter of dry, dead leaves swept along chilly concrete. The avatar of nature's annual death the augury of winter's icy grip. 
and we see these three young boys uh, out trick-or-treating. They're dressed up for Halloween. They have their candy sacks in hand. Two of them are dressed in traditional Halloween costumes, you know, kind of caped with the old Ben Cooper or Collegeville plastic mask. One is a ghoul, the other a devilish clown. But the third boy, who initially you think he's like the tallest of the three, turns out he's probably a younger brother of one of the other two who mom forced to take along with him. And he has this sheet over him. But at the top of the sheet is what appears to be a helium balloon that's painted or colored like a jack-o'-lantern. And it's what's holding the sheet up. So it kind of gives him the appearance of being tall. But in actuality, he's like the little guy in the group. And he keeps peering out from underneath the sheet. It's kind of humorous the way uh, Corbin draws this. So anyway, these two older kids are having a conversation. Get a load of this guy, Jimmy. He's got a real costume. Looks just like the Wolfman in the movies. Yeah, I'll bet he's rented it. It sure ain't no homemade costume. He's probably going to one of those grown-up masquerade parties. And we see this man dressed as a werewolf approaching these three boys. Autumn. A time of change. In weather, in nature's colors, in appearances. A time of impersonation. Of bogus goblins and witches. Pranks and pleasures. The time of Halloween. And our two boys continue on. He even walks like the Wolfman does. Did you ever see anything so neat? I'm going to touch his costume. I don't know, Jimmy. You know how strangers are, especially grown-up strangers. He might not like it. I'm not going to hurt his lousy costume. Besides, what's he going to do about it? Bite me? I still don't think it's a good idea, Jimmy. You never know what might happen. My ma always says, Your ma? Don't you ever do anything without asking your ma? As we see the shadow of this man approaching them even closer. The little brother's peering terrified out from underneath his sheet. Don't think he really wants to be out there with the two bigger boys. Autumn. The year's freak. The season of the witch. Cloaked in mystery and shrouded with a facade of false appearances. And this man dressed as a werewolf approaches the two boys. The boy grabs a hold of his mask and says, hey, mister, that's a pretty good growl, just like a real wolfman. And your mask is stuck on real tight, too. Autumn. A time of crystal crisp air, biting winds, gibbous moons, and murder. Savage primordial murder committed by the beast of slashing claws and fangs. It's not a mask, he's a real wolfman. And we see the werewolf attacking these two boys, and the little boy, the third guy, he's out of there. Candy left behind, it's all over the place. The sheet's gone, he's running for his dear life. And we see in the next panel that the wolfman, who obviously is a real wolfman, has killed these two boys. Something you would never see in a Comics Code Authority approved book. Autumn, a time of irrevocable curses of moons and metamorphosis, of lycanthropy. And we get some thoughts from this wolfman. Again, I've killed again. It'll never end, and why should it? Why shouldn't I revel in the, in the primitive thrill of killing the wild abandon of a healthy animal, feeling the surge of power, the tingle of instincts as no human possibly can? Lycanthropy. 
the inexplicable, miraculous transformation from senses deadened man to vibrantly alert beast, the ages-old curse which compels its victim to rejoice in the exaltation of triumph, to renounce mundane society's passivity. And he continues to think, that's the whole idea, isn't it? To be free, totally free, free as an animal. Not like before in Grimstone's sordid freak show, where freedom translated into 50 bucks a week and all the free sawdust you wanted. So, this werewolf is referring to something in his past. Apparently he was part of a freak show, owned by a man named Grimstone. And he's walking down the street as he's thinking this, you know, having just killed those two little boys. And he's approaching what appears to be a pool hall, and there's a few thugs standing outside. Halloween, a night like any other. For a group of toughs loitering outside the local billiard emporium. A night to harass others, to gape and sneer, to taunt and jeer. Hey, catch the trick-or-treater. A little big to be dressed like that, don't you think? Yeah, look at him. He's the Big Bad Wolf and I'm Little Red Riding Hood. Hey, Big Bad Wolf, you're gonna have to huff and puff and blow us all down if you want to get past. Because we're blocking the path to Grandma's house, so what you gonna do about it, huh? Well, as we turn the page, we see exactly what he does about it, and he mauls all of these guys. I mean, it's just a bloodbath. Night. A time in which the familiar becomes obscure and doubt transcends certainty. A time for brooding introspection. I live to kill. To kill for food or in defense. To kill honestly. To satiate a natural craving. Not like Grimstone, forcing me and the others to rob and murder unsuspecting rubes. The others didn't mind being molded to Grimstone's every whim. They were content to give the money to him and keep the bodies for themselves. They were whining pawns, but me, I must be free, free to choose whom I kill. And we now see he's approaching a woman walking by herself, which is never a good idea down the street. Night, a time of uncertainty, a time to subdue that uncertainty under a veneer of bolstered confidence. And he approaches the young woman and she says, uh, Nice costume you've got there, mister. You sure look real horrible going to a masquerade party. And he proceeds to rip her throat out. Night. A time to die. Abruptly. Fiercely. Terribly. With unmitigated terror. A choking of sour bile searing a shrieking throat. Grimstone has no hold on me. I don't need his traveling carnival to lure victims like the others do. I'm not lazy or complacent. I find my own prey. As he walks away from this poor young girl whose blood is now running down into the storm drain, he leaves town and starts heading out into the wilderness. And he continues thinking. His threats mean nothing to me. He'll never catch me. I'm free and wild. Night. A time when the distant unlikely becomes the dreaded possible. When the witch's Sabbath of All Hallows' Eve coincides with the full moon of the wolf. The moon beckons me to follow out of the filthy soot, choked city turmoil, and into the clean wilderness where I can rove free, free as the winds, free as the moon itself. The wilds, conducive to ruthlessness, 
where the law of the naked and the savage holds brutal sway, where the victor drinks the hot, bubbling nectar of the victim's life. And we see now that the werewolf is tearing apart a poor, helpless, white-tailed deer. And he thinks, Grimstone shabby little carnival could scarcely offer me rewards as rich as this feeling of unfettered bloodlust. Now that he's finished with the deer, he continues walking through the wilderness and comes upon a mansion. And thinks to himself, or to seek the opportunity to seek blood and flesh wherever I choose, such as this isolated old mansion. Halloween. A night employed by many as an excuse to drink, to engage in merrymaking, to party. And in the next few panels, we see some people inside this mansion, uh, adults, having a Halloween party for adults. They're drinking, uh, laughing, dancing. And we turn back to the werewolf peering in one of the windows. And he thinks, so many, so very many of them upon which to feast. Lycanthropy, the ambivalent affliction which endows its helpless victim with the dubious virtues of a beast, with lightly padding stealth. And as he heads around the mansion, he thinks, if I enter through the back door, I can take them one at a time, prolonging the pleasure of the kill. So he heads around the back and comes into the kitchen where we see one of the partiers getting some ice trays out of the refrigerator. A party. The time for banal, empty conversation. For ice drinks. And for demented horror for the death sprung upon the site of the helpless quarry. And we see in this next panel that the werewolf has attacked this partier from behind. The ice trays go crashing to the floor. And our narration continues. A party. A time for the unexpected. A time for shocked incomprehension. For stark-eyed disbelief. Because in the next frame, this partier now takes the werewolf and throws him over his shoulder, causing the werewolf to crash into the kitchen cabinetry. And the werewolf is totally shocked and confused on the floor, thinking... What? It's impossible. He has the strength of ten men. The night. A time for fate to play its melody of mystery. And we see this person who's just thrown the werewolf over their shoulder, taking off their mask and saying, You are surprised, our friend, the wolf. You thought us easy pickings. A helpless group of Halloween celebrants, perhaps a bit tipsy from too much drink? Yes, my friend, we are celebrating Halloween, and we see some of the other partiers gathering together. In fact, it is our favorite day of the year, but we comprise not the usual gathering of celebrants. No, we are much different. And now, the werewolf realizes, Grimstone and the others! We like to masquerade too, but what costumes could exceed our natural countenance for grisliness? Yes, we masquerade, but as humans. You are surprised to see your old friends, my wayward werewolf? Pity you cannot join us in our festivities like old times, but your recent treachery prevents that, for unlike the rest of us, you are a child of the night for only brief periods of time. Halloween. A strange night. 
when the dark side of nature reigns supreme and the forces of good are helplessly suppressed. A lunatic night when evil devours evil. You see, you are a wolf only under the full moon. At all other times, you are human. With human compunctions and a conscience, which might force you to reveal to the authorities the more diabolical aspects of my carnival of fear, that would never do. And so you must rejoin my carnival as food for your fellow employees. And in this final panel, we see this ghastly group of people that apparently are part of this sideshow devouring the werewolf. And we get a closing narration from Uncle Creepy. You'd think that a wolfman above all others would know better than to judge books by their covers, especially on Halloween night. Too bad Grimstone's traveling carnival was passing through town, eh, fear friends? And that is how our story ends. Boy, I gotta tell you, what a treat that was. Uh, Doug Mensch's script, just poetic prose, beautifully written. You know, it's kind of funny in a way because we get the sort of humorous, quippy introduction from Uncle Creepy in the beginning and at the end when he closes a story. But it's certainly not Uncle Creepy telling this story, not speaking that way. Uh, It's just an incredibly well-written story uh, with a little bit of humor in the beginning, mostly coming from the artwork. And speaking of the artwork, Richard Corbin's work, just as I said, very lifelike. Uh, His use of shading in his pencils just gives this eerie, lifelike quality that still has that uncanny valley added to it and it kind of just gives it a bit of a surreal appearance it's just great so that's going to do it for our featured story from creepy number 58 the incredible change into something comfortable for our next episode i'm going to bypass the random comic generator again you know earlier in the episode i mentioned my favorite segment from the vault of horror movie so why don't we take a look at that comic so for next time We're going to look at Tales from the Crypt, number 35, published by EC in 1953. I know it'll be a lot of fun. You know, I was thinking, yeah, I know, scary thought, right? Everyone puts these lists out, and they're always great lists. Uh, Don't get me wrong, I enjoy looking at them and taking the suggestions for movies I haven't seen. But everyone puts out these lists of, like, movies that you should watch leading up to Halloween. And I thought, well, why don't we do something different here? I mean, I know this is a comic book podcast, a horror comic book podcast, but we love horror movies as well. And I thought, well, kind of borrowing, like, from the 12 Days of Christmas, you know, Twelve Tide, which a lot of people forget doesn't start until Christmas Day, why do you have to stop watching horror movies after Halloween? So I thought, why don't we do a top 13 movies why don't we say 13 nights of halloween movies to watch to carry on a 13 tide now they're not necessarily my favorite movies although i would say probably the top six of them would be my top movies but i'm gonna daily starting on halloween publish a page i'll put it on facebook and i'll link it at the four color fear facebook page but anyway i'm going to list a suggestion for a movie to watch for the 13 days of Halloween and uh, I'll list that movie I'll include maybe something to watch with it as a double feature and I'll also give like an alternate choice and it's completely unrepentant uh, unapologetic list it's not necessarily the best horror movies of all time it's just some that I like and uh, I'd like to share with you 
So that's going to do it for this episode. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always do that by dropping an email to fourcolorfear at gmail.com. You can also visit the blog, fourcolorfear.blogspot.com. You can check out the Facebook group. Search for Four Color Fear on Facebook. And remember, Four Color Fear is always spelled the number four, C-O-L-O-R-F-E-A-R. Thanks again for listening. Happy Halloween, and I'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Count Chocula, Frank, Frank, Frank and Barry. And Blueberry, Blueberry, Monsters, 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 Monsters. Another Saturday night rolls around. I'm, I'm, I'm Frank and Barry. I'm so handsome. All the girls will hustle with me. Hustle with me. I'm Count Chocula. Chocula. After we learn to disco, it's goodbye to sitting home on Saturday nights. Nights, nights, nights. Let's go disco. Disco's here. Let's go disco. Disco's there. Let's go disco. Disco where? Let's go disco. <laughs> Let's go disco. Disco's here. Let's go disco. Disco's there. Let's go disco. Disco where? Let's go disco. Disco's <laughs> oh yes, I'm blueberry, berry. I can see it now. I'm so I'm so light on my feet, feet. I'll, I'll boogie all boogie all night. It's hard to believe that three three wild and crazy guys, monsters like ourselves, sit home alone, 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 alone. Let's go disco. Disco's here. Let's go disco. Disco's there. Let's go disco. Disco where? I said to get down and roll. Let's go disco. Disco's here. Let's go disco. Disco's there. Let's go disco. Disco where? I, I said to get down and roll. Papa.